Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Thanksgiving week here. Justin and Chris here with you for another episode as we transition from black metal to black dragons. How are you, bud? <laughs> Good. I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to this. I, I kind of um, it popped into my head kind of at the last second when it was time to decide on something, and, and uh, as I listened to the album again for the first time in a while, I was. Uh, reminded at how uh how good it is so yeah I'm, I'm glad you chose it as well um i had like preconceived notions because of how much i love this disc and i was very curious to see if it was gonna kind of hold up uh you know all these years later but we'll get to that in a second a couple things i wanted to mention um two eps that that came out this week uh one of which i, I had sent you a message offline and i said sight unseen this is the ep of the year uh i i don't know that it is but god do i love these guys more more uh more on police they're a prog rock band very quirky uh touch a touch of metal a touch of pop um but a very very clean sound despite the chaos um they're out of norway they came out with a new ep it's called the stranger and the high tide um, I just love these guys, and I'm dying to see them live. Apparently, um, the footage I've seen on YouTube, they it would just be an absolutely fun show. Um, and, and one of these days, uh, I'll get there. I, I know you enjoyed the last album as well. Yeah, I, I actually got a chance to listen to the EP, and it was uh, really good stuff. And, and they're not really in my typical wheelhouse, but there's something about this band that's so quirky and so catchy that it just kind of draws me right in. So, uh yeah, good good stuff. I'm sure we'll be talking about them again before the the year is out. L- little doubt on that, and and one other EP that's also in the quirky uh, category. Thank you, scientist, um, has come out with a new EP. Uh, it, it's funny; the, these guys are a New Jersey band. Um, they are very very quirky prog, and and the new EP is called Plague Accommodations. And and I have to say, um, they're. I, I, I should love these guys because they have brass and they have, uh, you know, saxophones and and trumpets and and like there's something magical about what they do. But I feel like whenever I listen to them, it just takes me a long, long time to really digest the material because it's all over the place. Um, But I have to say they're they're playing prog power in June and I am going to watch the set because I I, I have to see how this – um, sound comes off in a live setting. I know that they are, uh, their fans think that they put on great live shows and, and not surprising, but I, it's something that I have to see. Is Are you going to stay around for that set or is it something that just you, you, doesn't click with you? Uh, the, what I've heard is, is interesting. Um, I, I, it's gonna, I'm going to have to give it more uh, attention, you know, heading into the festival. And so uh, it's... Uh, it's a it's a question mark for me at this point, but <laughs> fair enough. We'll, I, I we'll definitely see. think that it's something that you'd have to spend time with, um, but it also may be just worth checking out for a little bit because it's going to be so um, different, almost like Diablo Swing Orchestra that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. I put it in that category of just avant garde prog. So I don't know, worth checking out. Um, but before we we talk about uh, the Luca Turilli album, what did you listen to this week? Um, I didn't listen to much, but, um, I did see that there were a couple of, um, a couple of things that dropped yesterday, but due to the holiday, I really haven't had a chance to listen to them, but, um, uh, Battle Beast has a new single that, uh, will be on their album that comes out in January. And, uh, that song is called Eye of the Storm and there is a, uh, accompanying music video to check out. Um, so I'm sure we'll, uh, post that 
this week and um, also kind of related to uh, what we're going to talk about today, uh, Rhapsody of Fire, um, you know, the, the band that Luca Turilli formerly was the founder of, um, they released their uh, latest album, Glory for Salvation, uh, that came out yesterday and um, I'm looking forward to giving that a listen. Um, wh- what are your thoughts, just uh, just uh, curious about your thoughts on the... Um, the new singer who uh, they brought in to replace um, longtime singer Fabio Leone. I believe uh, his name is Giacomo Voli. And there's some cool videos of him on some like singing um, competition shows in Italy. Um, he's a really talented guy, but uh, just curious what your, your thoughts were on him. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting, um, he's got an interesting voice and I think he was a good replacement for, um, for Fabio, but at the same time, I don't know that he's got as distinct a voice, if that makes sense. Um, he, he, before joining Rhapsody, he was actually, um, kind of unknown, right? Like, I, I mean, I know that he was on these like competition shows, but he, it wasn't like he was in another band or I could compare his sound to anything. He's good. What loses me, and this is something I know we're going to touch upon in a little bit, I feel that. When, when Luca was writing those early Rhapsody albums, he was focusing on the songs and the orchestration provided the perfect accompaniment to those songs. And as the, and, and even after he left Rhapsody of Fire, the most recent albums seem like they're either movie scores or TV scores, uh, in a sense, or, or the orchestration seems to be the driving force with the, the, the metal behind it. And, and I think that that twist has actually made me, um, made it difficult for me to really fall in love with the band. Not that I don't enjoy the sound. I, I do, but I feel like it's less song driven and more, um, symphonic to a fault, at least when I compare it to the old Rhapsody stuff. So, I think his vocals, as good as they are, kind of get lost in the shuffle because there's just so much going on there. And and I want it to sound like, you know, Legendary Tales or, or Symphony of Enchanted Lands or, or the album we're about to talk about. So that's where it loses something for me. Um, do you agree? I, I know that you've just been a fan of this band since day one and, and have really kind of just ridden the wave all the way through. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they were kind of losing steam even before um... – even before Fabio had exited the band, I feel like, you know, like you said, like without Luca, the, the magic of Luca and Alex Starpoli working together, um, it just hasn't been as good. While, I, you know, I'm still going to always get their, their latest albums and listen to them. I, I do enjoy Giacomo Voli's vocals. I, I It was very um, jarring the first time I heard him sing, like, cause his first Rhapsody album was actually a, a re-recording of, of older tunes. And so hearing this other singer sing, you know, those classic Rhapsody songs without Fabio was really weird. Um, but I think I've kind of gotten used to him and I think he was a good choice. Um, but it, it's, it's almost like the Rhapsody of legendary tales and symphony of enchanted lands and the Rhapsody of fire of today are, are, like almost two completely different bands. Yeah, if you if you listen to the albums, you know, listen to listen to the new album. I haven't heard it yet, but I suspect that when I put it on, it's going to sound very different from what I was listening to all week with Lucas solo material, which is right in line with those you know early Rhapsody albums. But um, I'm going to give it a shot. I, I I can certainly report back. I was not a fan of the singles, but you know, I I 
I've listened to every one of their albums and this will be no different. I will give it its fair shot. Yeah. I think some of the, some of the, the tracks that were released early were better than others. There was like, I think there was one that was right out of the, the old playbook of old Rhapsody stuff, which was, was nice to hear, but then there's other ones that I think are just completely different. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to, uh, give it a, a listen and see, you know, what, uh, what the band is all about nowadays. Cause I mean, even if you talk, think about the, the most recent um, album that Luca did with Fabio um, it, it's, it's also very different. Like, you know, Luca's songwriting is still there, but it, it's not, it wasn't anything like that medieval kind of sound. It was more of like this almost like futuristic kind of thing. Um, very different from what he was doing back in this time that we're going to talk about. So, you know, it's just a lot of evolution, I think uh, on all, all ends of the spectrum. But at the end of the day, we kind of got a, a multitude of bands that, that splintered off of Rhapsody, you know, the initial Rhapsody and uh, it gives us more to, to, to listen to and to digest. So. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I think if I heard another, if I heard legendary tales, part six, I think I'd probably be a little tired of it. I, part of the magic is that, uh, Obviously, it was it was during our formative years. Number one, and number two, you know, it was it was different. Nobody was doing this then, and uh, you know, like you can only go to that well too many times. I guess one too many times before even you know we would have gotten I think sick of it after a while. So I appreciate the evolution. Uh, I just seem to gravitate towards this early stuff. And what, how did it kind of pop into your head to to do this album? Because it's a little bit of like a lost gem of sorts. Um, everybody knows Rhapsody. Everybody knows uh, Rhapsody of Fire. Not a lot of people, I think, gravitated towards Luca's solo material. And at least this first album was very much in the same vein as that old Rhapsody stuff. Yeah, um, I, I don't know that it was anything more than me just kind of scrolling through my songs uh, and and trying to figure out who to talk about next. And as I came across this one, I was like, you know, when that, when I'm just like freestyling in my head over which bands that we haven't done yet, I mean, I can't say Luca Turilli ever came into mind because it was always just band names that were popping into my head and not solo artists per se. So when I saw that, I was like, you know what? Um, even though we have talked about Rhapsody, um, their first album, Legendary Tales, um, this came out two years later. And um, I think that, you know, Luca still had that early magic touch that he had. And, and I, I remember um, asking for this album for Christmas, I believe. It came out at the end of 1999. So I asked for it for Christmas that year. And um just blind, like blindly. I'm not sure I had heard anything from it. I just was like, if the guy from Raps, if a guy from Rhapsody is making a solo album, I want to hear it because I, at that point, the first two Rhapsody albums had been released and I loved them both. So I was just like, this was definitely a blind uh, ask for me. And um, I remember, I want to say my aunt got it from a like a local Pennsylvania record store or whatever that they used to that would sell imports, and it was the. Um, the digipack version with the, the, like the cardboard cover that opened up and with the booklet and everything. And, um, yeah, I just remember like popping it in and, and loving it immediately. Do you, or I guess the question is, had you heard of Olaf Hare, who's the singer on this album before you hit play or did you kind never. of find, never heard of him? No, no, this was my introduction to him and I loved him. I thought it was great that they went with somebody that didn't sound anything like Fabio Leone, because a lot of the music does sound very similar to what you would expect 
from Rhapsody. Um, so to have a totally different vocalist with a different style, I think really kind of set it apart. Yeah, it definitely does. And I have to be honest, as much as I love that early Rhapsody sound, it took me a while to warm up to to, to Fabio in Rhapsody. Um, I was such a big fan of that early Vision Divine stuff. And obviously his first album with Labyrinth, that that was the sound that I kind of uh, equated it to, to Fabio Leone. So when he was doing this stuff, it kind of... It, it took me a while. And to this day, I just think that he has the gift of being able to sound like different people on different albums. He sounds nothing like this on Angra, or he sounds nothing like this when he was, you know, touring with Camelot and, and et cetera, et cetera. It goes on. He can kind of shape shift or morph like a chameleon into different vocalists, which is incredible. It took me a while to get on board with the Rhapsody sound. But the second I heard Olaf Heyer sing, I said to myself, who is this guy? And, you know, where did this magician come from? Because the pipes that this guy had really, for many years, set this apart for me as the best Luca album of all of them. And that goes back to the Rhapsody material, just of how magical it was uh, with, with Olaf's vocals. And just to round out the band, he's got kind of like a an underground supergroup, not so much in terms of the, the musicianship, although it's fantastic, but just in terms of the production and the and the mixing here. He's got Sasha Pyth, uh doing the bass lines, some guitar work, uh, obviously producing, engineering, mixing, and mastering the album. And uh, All-Star Miro on keyboards and the harpsichord, and he helps produce the choir arrangements. Those two are, are magic when they work together. And I guess it's not surprising this, that this album is as good as it is given the, 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 the sum of the components. Yep. And, and not to mention the drummer, uh, Ro- Robert Hunica Rizzo, who also um, worked with Avantasia. So, it, I mean, it was like Luca Torelli with Olaf Heyer on vocals and the, and like Avantasia as like the, as like the, the band that was playing. I mean, Avantasia. I wonder um, it didn't stink, you know? It's like. Yeah. It, well, I mean, the, Avantasia wasn't really a touring band yet, so these guys weren't really. I don't know that they were really in a, a like an official full touring, full time band at the time. I know um, Robert um, was did work with Heaven's Gate and, and Camelot. Um, Miro, um, I think, just became. Um, well known for working with Avantasia, but also was worked with Angra and Shaman and um, Rhapsody of Fire and also Heaven's Gate. And Sasha just has produced some some of the best stuff you could think of from all through the eighties and the and up, up just up until up until today. So I mean, it is kind of like this uh, this like secret all star cast. Yeah, it's it's incredible, and and you've mentioned Heaven's Gate a couple of times. Their singer is also part of the opera choir, and we talked about him a little bit. Um, we talked a little bit about him in the Rhapsody episode, but I have to say, Thomas Retke is is a, a fantastic vocalist, highly underrated. Did a little bit of work at Avantasia. Have you heard his stuff with Heaven's Gate? If not, that might be something we have to go back and revisit because it's something you would, I think, really, really love. No, I'm not really familiar at all with Heaven's Gate, to be honest. They so, never yeah. broke through. Like they were, they they released a number of albums. I bought bought one blindly from a local record store when I saw a used copy of Living in Hysteria. I, 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 but for some reason, it was a very accessible sound. And as, as a fan of that German power metal, to me, it was like you know right in line with that. But for some reason, they never really 
broke through and got into the, you know, the consciousness of most people. Um, I just added it to the list. At some point, we're going to do a Heaven's Gate album, and I think you're really going to like it. Yeah, sounds good. I didn't even realize that Sasha was a part of that band for a long time. So I guess that's kind of where he um, came came up through. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the re- the reality is. Uh, there's a reason, I guess, you know, everyone kind of cut their teeth somewhere and that's where he really got his start. And this is before his work with, with Viper and Gamma Ray and all the other bands you mentioned. So, uh, you know, this is where he cut his teeth and, and, and really released some, some interesting albums. I'm not familiar with all of the old Heaven's Gate material, but certainly, uh, I've heard enough that I can say, uh, it, it's, he did a very nice job there and you can see the, the beginnings of what would ultimately happen about 10 years later. Cool. Yeah, I would like to uh, to check that out. I might have something by them that I probably just never listened to. Yeah, I have a few of their albums actually, and I can't say I ever really sat down and and listened to any of them. I, I am actually the one song I am familiar with is from uh, the Keepers of Jericho Halloween tribute album. They did a cover of "A Little Time," so that's pretty much my Heaven's knowledge Gate base. Knowledge. There you go. Um, So I guess let me ask you this, you know, just broad strokes. Did this hold up as well as you think, as you, as you kind of thought it might, given how much you, you like this album? Yes. Yes, it did. It was, it was just as good as the day I first heard it. Um, It is something of like a a time capsule because I don't think that like there's much that comes out these days that's, that is reminiscent of this. Um, If it is, it's probably fairly, underground and not known by me um but uh yeah i i still think that um all the songs hold up i I don't think there's a bad song on the album um i beg to differ we'll get there but i beg to differ okay um yeah it's uh it still is pretty pretty fantastic and uh i i really enjoyed getting to go back and and listen to it again what i forgot was that you know considering well i mean let's just get into it right two magic horizons is the intro track and and this is your kind of like majestic intro and right away you you know this is going to follow that old rhapsody formula it's kind of over the top very orchestration heavy and it almost sounds like um uh, like I, I don't know i guess like get 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 ready to play dungeons and dragons or something like that you can you 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 know what it is before you get there but it has this like magical sound to it um, but, but the reason I bring that up is there's a couple of these tracks on the disc, um, really two, I guess two interludes. And when you factor in the, the fact that there's only eight other songs on the album, I didn't realize how, I don't want to say short, but how few tr- actual tracks there are on the album. I know that it ends with an epic and we'll certainly get to the title track, uh, you know, at the end, but short of the bonus tracks, there's really not that many tracks on this album. It's a kind of a short record. Yeah. It's like eight really full-length songs um but i i also think that the first two rhapsody albums were kind of it almost followed that same formula where it was like that minute and a half like orchestral symphonic intro leading into like a a, a very um blistering uh galloping power metal anthemic kind of style and that's what black dragon is for me I, i've always loved this song just because it really just gets you amped up, I think. And, and, uh, and then it, like the next track is kind of like, um, a really good, like another good, really like almost like mid to mid to fast paced 
track and then there's like a more of a slowdown. I mean, it really does kind of follow the, the, at that point what the Rhapsody uh, blueprint was. Um, but, but at the same time, it kind of had its own style due to the fact that that a different vocalist and different um, instrumentalists outside of the guitar work. Um, so I think that in, it, it managed to set itself apart just enough where you wouldn't lump it in with Rhapsody stuff at least um at least right away when i first heard it and I, and even now i don't really i find it to really be distinct enough that i it, it's i consider it its own thing yeah i i'd agree with that um i i remember what i guess i didn't remember is black dragon is is really a great opening track it it, it clocks in at just over 5 minutes but they pack a lot in there like you don't realize how much is kind of going on in this song or at least i didn't remember how much was going on in this song it starts with a very very catchy clean Luca, you know, guitar riff that kind of carries through the rest of the song. Um, what, of course, right away, you're going to notice that the lyrical content here is um, maybe not the deepest or, or, or not the most um, introspective in terms of, you know, what they're talking about with elves and dragons and stuff like that. But the music is just so good. And, and the keys here provide such a nice contrast to the riff that carries through uh, the, the chorus and bridge are both great. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just throw out some adjectives that we've used in the past. This is really one of those bombastic and grandiose songs, and it's just a perfect way to, you know, kick off the Renaissance Fair that you're about to go on for the next 40 minutes. Right. And then, like, it it kind of gives you – it kind of has a little bit of that Eagle Fly Free vibe where there's just kind of like this solo, like uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Just like um, – uh, I, it, the words are failing me, but it's just kind of like, all right, here's like, here's a guitar solo and he's a keyboard solo. And then, um, the, um, well, uh, this will be the first we mention of, um, uh, and you're gonna have to excuse my pronunciation, but Ron Veg Sif Sigorder to deter. Easy for you to say. Yeah. She was, so she's, uh, provides the soprano vocals, which are, I think they do such a good job with her. And I became very interested in, in where she came from and um, like other things she did. I'm pretty sure she did some work on one of Camelot's early albums as well. Um, But uh, I thought it was kind of cool because, you know, you didn't get any of that in those early Rhapsody albums, any of, of a kind of a a female counterpoint or a higher, higher pitched vocalist. So I think that added a really nice kind of uh, layer to, to to the Luca Turilli album that, that Rhapsody wasn't doing. So again, another little, a little thing that that kind of set it apart but um yeah this was like a really this whole song was a really good showcase of of what everybody in the band could do i appreciate the use of the female vocals i am not a fan of her vocals and in fact in my notes i have female vocals eh, it just doesn't grab me and we'll get to her her standout track princess aurora a little bit later I am just not a fan of her vocals. I'm not saying she's not talented. It's just for my ears, um, I could think of other vocalists, and, and I'll get there, uh, that I would rather have heard on this disc. But um, the third track or, or the second real track, Black Dragon, this track is to me like one of the best power metal tracks you could possibly get. It is a little bit cheesy at the beginning, um, just in terms of how it starts. But at the same time, um, you're talking about, uh, you know, putting the harpsichord and the flute and the whimsical nature of the beginning aside, the orchestration 
pops so much on this great metal tune that I just absolutely love it. I think the chorus is great. Um, I, I think it's probably Olaf's best vocals on the album. And about two and a half minutes into the song, he does this like vocal transition, which is just absolutely like so simple, but so awesome. And like, he just kind of changes it just enough to tweak, tweak it from like the first, um, the first verse. I love it. I think this is a fantastic song. Could be my track of the week. I have to think about that. Um, one of the better guitar solos here as well. Um, and he hits this note at the end. Uh, I, I don't, I do not know how he gets so high in the register, but he's got tremendous range and you, and you kind of, you see it all on display in this track. Oh, you, did you say this song title? I, th- you, I thought you might've said black dragon. Oh, I'm sorry. Is- if I did, I'm talking about legend of steel. No okay. question about yeah. it. The, the legend um, of steel, um, and, and everything I just said pertains to that, that, but from the intro to the, to the last note, this, this is a magical track. Yeah. So this song, it reminds me of the song that would be in its spot on Symphony of Enchanted Lands, Wisdom of the Kings, mm-hmm. where it kind of starts out with like this slow um, instrumental kind of intro and then kind of kicks into like this, this, um, this kind of like, again, using the, the, the galloping thing. Um, kind of the song has kind of that, that riding a horse kind of uh, thing to it. So it's similar to that. And, and while, and while I consider that to be one of the most underrated songs on that album, I think this um, is one of the most underrated songs on this album as well. And I'm with you. I don't know what my song of the week is yet either. Um, I know what I'm leaning towards, but uh, this is a, a fantastic track and everything that you said about it. I completely agree with it. I, I feel like I might've, I might have not appreciated it as much as I should have when it first came out because it was following a song that just completely blew me out of the water. But now going back and listening to it again, yeah, this is a really, really good tune. And uh, I, I just keeps the, uh, keeps the ball rolling from the, the get go. We're um, I just just going on strong so far. What are your thoughts of Lord of the winter snow, which is the next track? Another I think this is another really strong song, another um, more of a fast paced song Um, kind of starts out with like this almost atmospheric kind of um, like almost spacey kind of intro. And then, and then it just about a minute in just starts kicking in with like the, um, the more metal, if you will, (laughs) parts of the song. And I I think that this is, um, another song that I, I like an, an awful lot. I think, um, I mean, I, I, honestly, I think everything on this album you could consider underrated except ancient forest of elves, because nobody really talks about the album, you know, in and of itself. So, I mean, I don't, I guess, I don't know how I would consider a song to be underrated on an album that nobody really knows, but like, <laughs> um, I think it's another really strong track. I like this one a lot. It's a little repetitive, uh, it is definitely not a bad track. I just I, – I, every time I listen to it, I, I'm waiting for something to pop after the verses because it's so fast and so like uh, – the pacing is so consistent. I'm waiting for something to pop and it never – you never really get the payoff um, until until the vocal lines right before the instrumental section. And to me, the instrumental section is the best part of this song. Um, I don't know that I ever loved it. I still don't think I love it, but it is a very, it, it's a good song. 
and there are parts of it which I I do adore. Um, but that the first couple of minutes, it's it's a little repetitive, and I'm just waiting for something to pop that never gets there. Um, but in contrast to the next track, Princess Aurora, I do love it. I don't think this is a very good song, and I know that maybe that we differ because of our opinion opinion of the vocalist here. But at the end of the day, this is like the first of two ballads on the album. Very heavy with the orchestration. Uh, starts again with this keyboard intro intro that just kind of drones on and on for me. And the verses have a little less orchestration than the choruses. But I'm gonna just throw something out there. What if Sharon Denadell from Within Temptation was singing this song? Would it change your opinion of it? Would it make it better? Would it make it worse? And I, and I throw that out because when I think of her vocals, especially at this point in the late 90s, she was as good as it gets as far as I'm concerned. And we've, we've talked about Mother Earth and we've talked about uh, some of her work with Avantasia. Uh, this was the time to have somebody like this do the female vocals on, on this um, particular track. And I think I would have fallen in love with it. But the vocals as are, eh, I don't love it. I don't love it. I don't. I think it would be better. I don't know if it would make it a great song. I just don't think it's the greatest song in the world, and I think that's part of the problem. I, I, I think I'm, you know, I'm definitely more of a fan of of Ronvig's vocals. Um, it's definitely very like accented. I guess you like it, it's it, it's the accent is very thick that she has. Um, I just never was a big fan of the song in general. I don't think it's her vocals that bring it down. I just don't think it's the greatest ballad could be, ever. Could be, could be that. I mean, and, I'd much I, rather I, hear Sharon sing it, of course, but I still don't think it would turn it into a great song. And that's, I think it just serves its purpose. It's a short kind of interlude song. I think that's maybe more about telling the story of, than actually like trying to blow you away or, or make you feel super emotional uh, with a ballad and you know the first three full-length songs are pretty heavy and ancient forest of elves which is next is pretty heavy so i feel like this is kind of more about slowing down the, the overall pace of the album um so that's kind of how like i think that's the purpose it serves i don't really pay it much mind when i hear it but it's probably my least favorite song on the album well we definitely definitely agree with that um as far as Ancient Forest of Elves go, this was the single that was released for the album. Had you heard this prior to, or was the first time you heard the single when you actually heard the album itself? In all honesty, I don't really remember because I may have gotten the single after I got the album. And this was kind of like before Napster, I guess. So, I mean, I think there's a pretty fair chance I didn't hear it until... I had the album, but one of the things I did think was great was that the, the digipack, if you pop the disc in your computer, you could watch the music video that was made for the song. And I cannot listen to the song and not picture all off, like riding in on a horse. And um, <laughs> it's, it's as epic as you can imagine a 1999 uh, symphonic power metal video involving Luca Turilli <laughs> would be. So um I don't know that I've ever seen it, but I feel like I've probably seen it a thousand times just because I can picture the entire thing. Yeah, you should definitely post it this week cuz it's worth uh it's worth watching if nothing else for the immense cheese visual cheese factor or I guess the audible cheese factor as well, but um this is a great tune. I mean, I thought it was such a great choice for the single and for a video. Um I have friends in college that um that just like completely 
glommed onto this song. There's something about it, it was just so uh just like pulled pulled you in. I, it was it's just super catchy, really fast. Um just uh, all everything about it is just uh classic symphonic power metal at its best. Yeah, I would put this up against any Rhapsody song and I think that to me I I actually like it a lot more than the than than Black Dragon even though I think they're similar in their composition just because I think it's a little more focused and a little more uh straightforward. For that reason, uh, yeah, it is the perfect single. I, I completely agree. Um, I'm not sure that they could have selected a better track for it. I don't know that it's my favorite track on the album, but it's the track that should have been the lead single for it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I just remember like going crazy when they uh, when Luca Turilli's Rhapsody played this at, uh, at Prague Power, and then I saw them again open for Primal Fear in New York City with you, Um I'm sure. I think we should definitely talk about that, uh, the the Prague Power set um, towards the end of the episode. But um, I remember a lot of people recognizing that song and really going pretty crazy for it. And so that was uh, that was really cool. Yeah, that that we definitely will we'll maybe we'll close with with that show because uh, I have very fond memories of that particular set for a number of reasons, and we'll, we'll get there. Um, but let's you know continue onward. Throne of Ice is. The next track, it's an interlude of sorts. And to me, I just kind of view it as an intro to, to Where Heroes Lie, the, the next track. It's uh, a mid-paced interlude. To me, it has a very TSO sound to it. Would you agree with that? It sounds like um, something you would see at the beginning of like a, a Trans-Siberian Orchestra set. Yeah, with like the it, – it's it's got that children's choir kind yes. of thing going on. And um, yeah, this is really – um, kind of a cool intro to another song that I think was really, really good. And, and um, I have this funny memory of um, being uh, out on Long Island. Maybe I think go, we went to like Nathan's or something for lunch on Old Country Road and putting on Charlie's radio show um, on the, uh, I guess it was the CW Post radio station and him playing Where Heroes Lie of all things. That is extremely random. And I think you should tell everyone who Charlie is and, and what, what a Charlie is <laughs> because that's uh, uh, certainly a name I haven't heard in probably two decades. Yeah. So Charlie was, uh, he worked at the Sam Goody um, that was in the basement of Roosevelt Field. And he must've saw us like looking at, sabotage albums or metal albums and he like just came over to us and was like he was the biggest sabotage fan you could ever imagine and we would always just go and see him whenever we were there and and just to talk metal and he would i remember him saying um recommending dr butcher and saying that fight for the rock wasn't as bad as everyone made it out (laughs) to be and um i remember him being there when dream theater did the autograph signing when scenes from a memory came out so he was kind of like a a staple at the mall uh for us so um yeah, uh, but he had this radio show, and that was one of the first things he told us when we met him was to check it out, and we would call it up and make requests and dedicate songs to our girlfriends, and we thought it was the coolest thing. And I think it was at that moment that I had decided that like, if I was going to do anything when I got to college, it was going to be doing a, a metal radio show, which I, I did end up doing. 
There you go. And and now you're talking about those same albums with me 15 years later. So uh, it all comes full circle. And, and shout out to Charlie if you're listening. I think you definitely get a kick out of what we do. Although I haven't seen him in forever because that, that Sam Goody closed, you know, probably 15 years yeah. ago now. And we never had the sense to ask him what his last name was. <laughs> yeah, he was always just Charlie, right? Like it was just Charlie. Uh, and, and it worked because, again, you got to, you know, back in 1999, how many people were going into Sam Goody and looking at like Luca Turilli solo albums? Like it just did it wasn't it wasn't a thing so i think he he probably just saw these like ambitious kids that were looking at like i don't know iced earth albums like you know that mike would you know be gravitating towards and he was probably just blown away that people were actually listening to this stuff i think i think that if you went into a similar store now you'd have a whole influx of people that are looking at this stuff it was just uh it was just a different time yeah and i mean there wasn't really a ton of stuff to to choose from because if you know in in the late 90s you know getting metal albums like power metal and progressive metal albums was not the easiest thing to do. I mean, if you wanted an Iron Maiden album, no problem, but I mean, you can go find some Ingve albums. They might not have every Ingve album. They might not have, uh, you know, you can find all the Manowar albums, but there might be sabotage albums that you might not be able to find. And there were no Stradivarius or Angra or, or bands like that because they hadn't, even gotten a, a U.S. Uh, record label yet. So, I mean, um, they would get to a point where you'd have every Fate's Warning and Dream Theater and Sabotage and Halloween album that they had in the store. And then, you know, if you wanted to get Pink Bubbles Go Ape and Chameleon, you had to get on the CD now and get, start importing things. With your dad's credit cards. With my dad's credit card. And uh, <laughs> still waiting for the bill to come due on that one. But, um <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was it was really interesting. It's kind of funny to think about. Like you could buy like Walls of Jericho, but not Pink Bubbles Go Ape, just because of the way things were. Distribution, back then. distribution. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was wild, and then eventually, like you'd find like the one gem that all of a sudden they had a copy of, and it would be like a you know you just you couldn't believe that it was in your hands because you hadn't seen it the last twelve times you were at the store, but. Sorry, I remember when day. I remember when Tower Records had a copy of Conception's Flow album. I was like, "Wow, I wasn't expecting." Like, for some reason, once in a while, like one of those stores would have an import just kind of sitting there for some reason, waiting for one of us to come and buy it. Um, <laughs> right. But it was just, and and it was like, um, it was like playing The Legend of Zelda and finding like, uh, you know, bombing the the fiftieth wall, and finally there's a cave there, and uh, oh, the hundred rupees. That, that's cool. Or, oh, an elegy oh, album. Or the Master of the Rings double, like uh, you know. Um. So you know that that we talk about it a lot, but yeah, that was a very different scene back then. And I'm not even sure you would have been able to buy this Luca Tarilli album in a store. I don't think it was distributed in the United States initially. Not in a mainstream store. Definitely not. Um, I think it gained a little bit of distribution later on, but as far as I know, it's still kind of hard to get because it just didn't have a ton of, it wasn't pressed very much. So I think it's actually one of the rarer discs, if you will, from, from that era that had to obviously be imported. Um, but that's you know it's 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 interesting to look back and now with with Spotify and YouTube you can find anything at the click of a button it's just amazing how far we've come uh i'll say this about the next track where heroes lie i love it i think that this is by far the most underrated track on the on the album it starts with this harpsichord that goes into this exceptionally heavy guitar riff uh the vocals during the verses are great it's ext- a heavy track. Uh, I don't love the chorus, but the rest of the song is so good. 
uh, that just has me tapping along with my toe the entire time I listen to it. Um, what can I say? Pass me my sword and my D20 because this one has me like going every time I hear it. I like, I just absolutely love it. And like, I, again, I, I talked about the lyrical content earlier. Um, I'm, I am get, get me my pencil, get me my character sheet and I'm ready to go play D and D after this. Yeah, this is, I, I don't, this song's fantastic. Um, just, yeah, it's again, the, the intro track before it, I, I have them actually like edited together as one track on mine because I can't listen to one without the other. And it's kind of similar to, I think I had mentioned when we talked about the first Rhapsody album, how, um, I can't listen to Land of Immortals without hearing the Virgin Skies intro that comes before it. And, and again, it's like that same, placement on the album i think it's literally the same track number as um land of immortals it's or, there's a or maybe it's one off but there's um, a for, there, there, but there's definitely a formula to what they're doing and I'll, I'll just say you know what in retrospect i think i'll make this my track of the week because nothing got me up quite like this song um it was definitely between this and, and legend of steel but I'm, I'm gonna go with this one i love this song Yeah, the solos are so good too. Yeah. Like you, you can tell that Luca kind of takes the best of like Keeper era Halloween and kind of melds it with the the neo classic style of Ingve. Um, and it really, I just love that was one of the big draws of Rhapsody for me in this album as well. At the time, is just like the guitar work is so good, and and it's. I mean, I remember getting the the uh, symphony of enchanted lands box set. And it had this mat, this, I couldn't even call it a booklet. It was like a manual of the <laughs> band. Like each band member had its own page and like all their um, influences and like favorite foods. And like, it was like a bio sheet for each character. And I just remember like Luca Turilli saying that like his inspirations were like keeper era Halloween and like, John Williams. <laughs> so you can And it shows with Yeah, or Hans Zimmer, like yeah. yeah. It's that marriage of power metal and and um Hollywood soundtracks that I think he does just so well. Um but then you know, throw in that just he's a ver- like a guitar virtuoso. Um so yeah, this is a re- I think that solos in this song are a really good uh just showcase of what Luca's capable of doing. What did you think of um, the second ballad, Warrior's Pride? This is, I, I think this is such a better song than Princess Aurora as far as the ballads go. Um, there's actually a duet version on the Ancient Forest of Elves single where you hear Olaf and um, Ronvig um, do the duet together. This version is just 
Olaf, and I, I prefer this version. I like him doing it on his own. Um, it's cool, like for a collector, to have the the duet version as well. The complete, and also should mention too that the 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 B side "Night of Immortal Fire" is one of the best songs that would have been on this album that wasn't. I think. I don't think I've pops, ever heard it. I have to hear that. Oh, I it's fantastic. It. Um, it's on certain copies of this album as a bonus track, but um, it wasn't on the one I had. I think I had downloaded the the single tracks um, from Napster when I was in college or something. And I remember Night of Immortal Fire was a song that I used when I would play The Sims. You could enter your own music so that when you turned on like the radio in your house, it would play whatever songs you had. And and then you could also choose the menu music for when you're like building your house and stuff. And this was that the song that I use, one of them. So whenever I'd hear that opening riff, I would it would just think remind me of The Sims of all things. Um, but yeah, definitely worth checking out that extra track that didn't make it onto the album as well as the the duet version of Warriors Pride. But I, this is a a really awesome you know Rhapsody style. It's it's not really a power ballad because it's it's just so like. Um, it has that uh, that time period feel, that Renaissance kind of time period feel with harpsichords and everything. So I, I think that uh, it's good, and, and it, I think it's a perfect kind of slowdown before this this gigantic, epic eleven and a half minute um, epic track, "Kings of the Nordic Twilight." But yeah, this is a, this is a good a good kind of uh, slowdown ballad, and and um, definitely better than princess aurora yeah i i agree completely um it sets the stage very nicely for this epic ending to the album i i forgot um of all the tracks that i listened to when i listened to this album a couple of times this week i for, i keep always forget about the title track at the end i i have memories of that or the, some of the tracks that come before it but for some reason i always forgot about this track this one is so underrated and it's just it does this where is where is so much is going on in Black Dragon in the five minutes here. I feel like it's perfectly spaced out, um, you know, as an almost 12 minute epic at the end. This is a really good song and it's one that um, nobody really talks about. It's it's kind of just like lost at the end of this album. But there's it's it's, it's a good one. And, and, you know, there's just a lot a lot of meat on the bone here um I, I for some reason it starts out slow but it picks up big time after i guess an intro which could, which could only be described as like a movie score type intro and then it just takes you on this journey which is uh perhaps some of the best verses on the album with a with a pretty decent chorus it it it, it it's the one i think that's grown on me the most over the years especially at least this week yeah, um, I was always a fan, but I think it was hearing it live that kind of drove home to me how incredible this song is. Um, I'm going to make it my song of the week. Um, I don't know how the hell I'm going to pick a minute to use um, <laughs> for the song, but um, really good stuff. I remember um, I did not know they were going to play this. And as a matter of fact, I don't know that they ever played it outside of that Prog Power performance where they headlined uh thursday night or wednesday night whatever it was
it's a really really good song um that just for 11 minutes just never drags um and it, it kind of explains why i think the rest of the album wasn't that long because they were capping things off with 11 minute you know 11 and a half minute track and again similar to uh rhapsody's symphony of enchanted lands where they have this um really epic uh title track at the end of the the album um I think it's really hard to put a song like this at the end of an album and, and keep the listener's attention because, you know, you've already listened to, uh, you know, 30 to 35 minutes of this album. And, and now you're asking the listener to get invested for one song for the next 11 and a half minutes. But I mean, it, it's the perfect song to do it. Um, there's all these different, um, instrumental and and backing vocal parts that open up and like Olaf's vocals don't come in until like after like well into the song like three and a half minutes into the song and um I just in all I could picture in my head is Alessandro Conti from um it's a guy hard to keep track I guess he's the singer for um Twilight Force now and Trick or Treat as well um, he was singing with Luca Turilli's Rhapsody at the time and I just pictured him sing he nailed the song by the way and uh yeah let's I, talk- was, I, I couldn't believe that they played this song i, I, I like, was shocked you know yeah, it's like, funny they it's were one ha- thing to add an extra song to a set but for, to add an 11 and a half minute song like out of nowhere was- um you know they, they were headlining that particular night of the festival and then they decided to play for two and a half hours i think they played 20 songs if i'm not mistaken this was the final song before the encores and what a way to end you know like the first Again, the the set before the encores, um, they pulled out stuff, and that is during- encores, like m- multiple encores. Oh yes, multiple encores. <laughs> um, it was it was. I I I I cannot impress upon anyone that's listening how amazing that particular show was because you know I had certain expectations going in, but I never expected them to just pull out all the stops like they did. And I think you'd have to say it was probably the biggest Luca Torelli show ever. I mean, like anywhere ever. You know, just pulling out all the stops, playing, you know, tracks like this. Um, it was just great. And, and, and Conti did such a nice job on some of this material. Um, I would have loved to have heard, uh, Olaf Heyer. I've never heard him sing live. Um, I know you would go on to listen to a lot of his stuff in Dionysus and, and some of the stuff you would do later on, but he's a name that you really don't hear of much anymore. Oh, when I, when I heard that he was the singer for that new what, Dionysus, this new band that was the album was produced by I think Tobias Samet. I think that's how it was sold to me by a vendor at Prague Power Three, and I was like, "Oh, this is a blind buy for me." And I ended up loving, loving, loving that album, that first album, and I think they released two more that were also very good. Um, I was just just wanted more. I wanted to hear more of his vocals because I thought he was so unique sounding and was and he wasn't on anything else. Um, so I think he would go on to do um, Luca's follow-up solo album and then had, I think, part-time duty on the third one. But um, my understanding is that his voice kind of failed him over the years, um, as, as tends to happen to some vocalists, unfortunately. And rather than then kind of uh, hero his way through it. He just kind of said, like, you know, I'm good. I'll go become an accountant or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, yeah, um, which is kind of a shame because, again, yeah, I would have loved to have heard him live. I don't even know if there's any 
recordings of him live that I'm aware of. I'm not honestly. aware. I know that he recorded a couple of tracks or at least one track with Marius Danielson on those Legend of Valley Doom yep. rock operas. But for yep. the most part, um, you don't hear from him anymore. And, and, and it's a shame that uh, his vocal cords failed him. But uh, at least you have albums like this to preserve, uh, you know, the magic that was his voice. And I, I had mentioned it to you. Um, I guess I had mentioned it to you earlier in the week he, to me. And, and again, it's this, this could be me. Um, I hear a lot of Jonas Highgart in his vocals, especially the highs, but even the lows to a little bit of an extent. And, and for those that don't know, he's the front man for Dragonland, a band that obviously was heavily influenced by some of this early Rhapsody material. I think that's fair to say. Um, Another vocalist who I absolutely adore, and, and and I think that he's one of the most underrated in the power metal genre. But you know, I, I it's it's it, to me that's like the the connection that I make. I, I hear hair. I know he's not doing much anymore, but then I hear the Dragonland stuff, and I'm 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 brought back to this you know to this time period. You know, I never really made the connection, but I just popped I just popped Supernova on, and I'm like I totally hear it now that you mention it. Yeah, um, and it's and it's a unique it, to be, to be able to sing at the low register and then hit those high notes is is a gift, and it may be so much of a gift that it helps blow out your vocals. But I mean, it's amazing what both of these men are able to do. Yeah, um, speaking of Dragonland, I believe they're going to have a new album out next year, and I'm really excited because it has been. 10 years since under the gray banner was released. Um, and th- I think they're just there. Talk about underrated. Um, but what an underrated band, probably just because they, they're kind of like a part-time band because, you know, Olaf, um, not Olaf hair, but, um, Olaf, uh, but I forget his last name from Amaranth. Um, you know, he's very busy with Amaranth. So I just don't know that, um, Dragonland can get the attention, that from everybody in the band that it deserves, but um, another band we were blessed to have seen live at Prague Power, and they really rocked the house and and ended up playing twice due to a, a late minute um, cancellation or uh, COVID, not COVID. Oh my God, not COVID, <laughs> a visa issue. Um, but yeah, um, now I'm listening to Dragonland. Uh, awesome, I love. Well, we know what you'll like be doing it. for the rest of the day, but before you check out. Uh, score of one to ten. What what are you going to give this album that you selected? Um, I will give it a eight point seven five. Um, I think that the the ballads kind of pull it down just ever so slightly, but everything else is really strong. Um, you know what? I'm going to give it a nine. I feel like eight point seven five is is being a little too harsh. I think it's it's every. Every song outside of those two ballads is excellent. Um, really just top quality stuff. So yeah, I'll give it a nine. It's, it's an eight and a half for me because of the ballads and because I just, I'm left wanting more at the end, which I guess is a good thing. Uh, a little more meat on the bones would have been nice, but, um, I love this album. It's, it's, it's a good one. I'm glad that you chose it. And, and honestly, it's, it's, it's something that like, I don't really listen to this style of music much anymore. So having done a deep dive into it, I'm glad that I did. I don't know that I would have um, – I don't know if when I would have listened to it again had you not selected it. So kudos kudos to that. I look forward to revealing our album for next week. But before we do, at least one news item that I, that I have, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, there's a loose Halloween connection here, and that's drummer Mickey D, who um, did the drums on Rabbit Don't Come Easy about uh, almost 20 years ago now. And he's he's – with the scorpions uh currently and he used to be with motorhead uh you know just been with a whole slew of 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 other bands um king diamond of course in the 80s uh 
And and to his credit, he was named uh, Gothenburger of the Year. So apparently uh, he's receiving some award in, in Gothenburg for uh, being the man of the year. So kudos to him. I, I just thought that that was an interesting anecdote in what was otherwise a very slow news week. Well, to quote the great Homer Simpson, mm, Gothenburgers. <laughs> well done, well done. Um, and that brings us to next week, which uh, is is obviously the first of the first Monday of the month, and it is, comes uh, with a request, and it, it's a good one. It's a good one. It comes to us from Brian Clough, listener of the show, and he um, wants to hear some more sabotage. He's a big sabotage fan. He wants us to do Edge of Thorns, which I thought was nice because uh, we had done a Dead Winter Dead, and it will go back a little bit to. Zach Stevens' first album with the band and an album that I think we're intimately familiar with uh, after all these years. So we'll do some Edge of Thorns and Sabotage next week. It seems like um, December is becoming Sabotage month here uh, at the at the Metal Exchange and I'm okay with that. There's a lot of there's a lot to cover with that band. We haven't even touched any of the John Oliva stuff so I guess that's something to look forward to uh, for next year. Um, but as we kind of weave our way towards the end of the year. I know I'm, I'm hard at work on my, my top uh, list of, of albums for the year. And there's usually a lull this time of year in terms of new material. So it's a, it's a welcome slowdown. So I can kind of catch my breath, revisit some of the stuff that I either missed or didn't pay as much attention to as I kind of put this list together. And I'm sure you'll be doing the same. Yes, I, I think I've actually finally finished listening to everything that I wanted to listen to that has been released. Um, other than the new Rhapsody of Fire album, which I had mentioned uh, earlier, um, so yeah, I, I'm uh, I, I just need to kind of kind of listen to a couple of other things that I had already listened to and kind of just come up with an order. But uh, other than that, um, yeah, I'm I'm super excited to uh, to do that episode. It was one of my favorite ones we did last year, and um, I love not knowing what what we're gonna pick but going into it which yeah and we don't we don't reveal it ahead of time um so and i'm I'm not going to i I will say that we're going to do the format a little bit differently last year we'll certainly go through our lists we have some other uh award categories that we'll, we'll we'll give out as well um which we've talked about but that's definitely a fun one and i look forward to doing that um as the year wraps up and then we, we move forward to 2022 i'll come back we have um we have to add another um another award to our list of awards for our personal favorite Gothenburger of the year. So, well, I think that's, I, I think that would be a very good category. There's so much. Mine's mine's with cheddar cheese, a fried <laughs> egg and two strips of bacon. Well, fortunately in about six months, I'll see you at the vortex and you'll get to actually enjoy that burger. I'm going to um, order it. I'm going to say, I'll have the Gothenburger, please. <laughs> Somehow they'll come up with something. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Yeah. And the uh, buns but, will be made with grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that is what they do. Uh, but until next week, uh, I'm Justin, this is Chris. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the flip side with some uh, some classic sabotage material. Take it easy, bro. Yep. Look, looking forward to it. Take care.